If you're wanting to love authentically, you need to be able to love without agenda. So love is an action, not a transaction. See, love could be a motivation, but it's not actually part of. Um, it's not actually part of any. Uh, I can do something for you because of love, but I don't love you because of something. All right, you get what I'm saying there. So, um, I. So hilarious, uh, hilarious that we've got someone from Equipus here. I've stolen this from uh, Pastor Ed Anderson. This is uh, a quote from him. Um, as Christians, we need to be people who draw a bigger circle around our life. Not only believing for God to meet our needs, but to believe for God to resource us to help meet the needs of those around us. So for us, we need to learn to draw a bigger circle. Your sphere of influence, your ability to impact the world around you is far greater than you think. Mm, See, um, statistically speaking, even the most introverted introvert uh, will come into contact with 10,000 people during their lifetime. Even the most introverted introvert will have between 5 or 10 really, really close friends, family. So even the most introverted introvert has got the ability to reach an exponential number of people just through the circle that they draw. Now, if we're willing to draw a larger circle around ourselves, if we're willing to reach out a little bit more, um, what that means is that we've got exponential impact. Okay? So, anyway, this message is application. So, at first, um, the message one, um, we learned that in order to pour out, so this is Romans, Romans um, 12, We can't conform to the world's idea of success. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that way, we would know the will of God. That was what we learned the first week. Second week, we learned that we were made for community. We learned that self-sufficiency is inaccurate at best and it's a lie at worst. And that um, we shouldn't wait to use the gifts that God gives us. Our willingness to allow God to use us in our imperfection will speak more loudly to the world than our perfect gifts. So what, we're, what we allow God to use in our imperfection will speak more loudly than our perfect gifts. We don't need to wait to have it all together before we begin to step out into a world. All right? So for today, this is, um, here's the thing. If, you're, if, you're a tw- if you want the tweetable statement, okay? Love is a verb. It needs to be authentic. There's an agency and there's an action to loving well. So at the end of Romans 12, there's actually this call to action. And for me, it, it, it can be summed up like this. Love is an action, not a transaction. Okay? Love is an action, not a transaction. So let me read it to you. So Romans 12 verse 9. Here we go. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Man, if Christians could just get a hold of those two verses that change the world. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Not a bad way to live your life. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Sounds like a shopping list of things to do, a to-do list. Now, my wife, um, 
Shan's awesome. She's got to-do lists. Sometimes she has to-do lists of to-do lists. So good. I don't necessarily operate that way. I'm actually more of a person that will read 12 things and go, oh yeah, that thing's probably either the most important or the easiest to do, and that's how my to-do lists often work. But in this, in this, um, in this passage here, there's actually some call to actions. There's actually some things that um, God's wanting us to do. I believe that the first thing that he's wanting us to do is he's wanting us to have compassion. So to have compassion is to look beyond yourself, to look at others' situations and and want to step into their worlds. So if you have compassion, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another, honour one another above yourselves. So Philippians 2.1 has got like a, this neat, neat uh, way of putting it. And it's imitating Christ's humility. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if there's any comfort from his love, if there's any common sharing in the spirit, if there's any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceits. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but, to, but each of you to the interests of the others. See, the thing is, is that if we have compassion for others, we don't actually need to fulfill our own needs. So if, if, if my life revolves around making sure that I prefer other people over myself, what that actually means is that my needs are going to be taken care of by people who are loving me. My needs are going to be taken care of by people who are looking out for my best interests. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Verse 4, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships, one with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. See, the thing is, is that when we have compassion, we go from being inwards looking, we go from being inwards focused to being outwards looking. And the thing is, is there's a benefit and a cost to having compassion. There's a benefit and there's a cost to, to, to looking at others' situations and, and preferring yourself over, over other, uh, preferring others over yourself. And, and I'll give you a really good example, okay? Here we go. This, any farmers in the house? Oh, Oh, so you're a walnut farmer, so. Um, this is from the Journal of Sustainable Agriculture. I've really, got, I've really gone deep. This is basically the farming equivalent of the Strong's Concordance, all right? We're, we're getting Matthew Henry, all right? So the Journey of Sustainable Agriculture, I found this quote, yesterday, uh, this quote yesterday. We already grow enough food for 10 billion people and still can't end hunger. Hunger is caused by poverty and inequality. So this is straight out of the journal. So this is not a Christian article. This is something that came out in 2008. Hunger is caused by poverty and inequality, not scarcity. For the past two decades, the rate of global food production has increased faster than the rate of population growth. According to the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Kingdom, it's not a Christian uh, thing. And then there's, there's even two, uh, two, quotes, uh, two references there. Uh, The world produces more than one and a half times enough food to feed everyone on the planet. That's already enough to feed 10 billion people. The world's 2050 projected population peak. But the people making less than $2 a day, most of whom are resource poor farmers, 
cultivating unviably small plots of land, can't afford to buy this food. So $2 a day. It's actually really, as Christians, and having compassion towards the world, if we have any compassion at all, um, it's actually really super uncomfortable knowing that, isn't it? Like, it's super uncomfortable. It's like, oh my goodness. You know, we, we, sit, we sit there and we see the World Vision ads and the Compassion ads and, uh, and all, you know, all, all kinds of other ads going for only a dollar a day, you can change a child's life. And we harden our hearts. <laughs> it's really interesting that if, um, um, statistically speaking, if you have a roof, over your, a roof over your head, a bank account and a fridge to put food in, not actually food itself, but a fridge to put food in, um, you're actually in the top 1% of the population, uh, population globally. You are the 1%. See, the thing is, is the reason it's uncomfortable knowing it is not because we're supposed to feel guilty. It's not because um, we're supposed to just um, harden our hearts towards it. It's because as Christians, because we know Jesus, because we know the one who basically gave everything that he had, because we know something... We actually have a compulsion to act. There's actually a, a need for us to act because we know we have to do something. See, it's not to make us feel guilty. It's to compel us to do something. See, the key is, is to refuse to do nothing. Jesus refused to do nothing. He always did something. Even in the hardest places, there's uh, multiple times in the Gospels where it was so tough him trying to preach the good news of the gospel that all he was able to do was heal the sick. Which for us would, would be a pretty great meeting, actually. It'd be like, wow, you know, we had no salvations, but every sick person was healed. I mean, that's revival in modern day society. And so the key for us is, as Christians and as non-Christians is to just refuse to do nothing. We all can do something. When we see a situation, we can all do Something. See, you might have heard that story and it overwhelms you. Well, see, the key is, and this is the thing, is that I, I genuinely don't believe that any like worldwide problem is supposed to be solved by any one person. Okay? What it, any worldwide problem is supposed to be solved by a whole bunch of people choosing and refusing to do nothing. Okay. We could crowd. Uh, we could crowdfund the end of poverty. <laughs> we could crowdfund the end of hunger. We could crowdfund the ability for medicine for anyone that needs it. Together, we can do stuff that's way, way, way bigger than anything that we can do apart. Now, I'm not sure what that something is for you that gives you compassion. See, for me, it's seeing at-risk youth. I am a sucker for at-risk youth. I refuse to do nothing when I see uh, young people in trouble. I just refuse. Uh, as a general rule, it normally means that I end up talking to counsellors, health nurses, police. Um, uh, anyway. Um, but for me, it compels me to act. But there's definitely something in your life that when you see it, it's like you're triggered. There's that compassion switch that's switched in your life. And you, you, you get to the point where you refuse to do nothing. 
See, the thing is, is that when you feel guilty about doing nothing, it's because you're not acting in the nature that you want to act in. That's why you feel guilt. So for you, it might be something else. I don't know what it is. But what I've written down here is you need to be willing to die to self. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And this life that I now live, I live in the faith for the one who died, who loved me and died for me. You need to be able to die to ego. You need to be able to put on the new man, this new life that Jesus calls us to. From our church, and you hear us um, talking about it all the time, we need to be willing to walk towards the messes, not having necessarily the whole answer, but being willing to engage with someone that's in there. Um, one of my favourite um, uh, writers is Maya Angelou, who, um, who uh, she's incredible. Um, one of the quotes that she has, which um, I, like I, I reflect on it often, is do the best that you can until you know better. Then, when you know better, do better. So that's the first thing, have compassion. That's what God calls us to at the end of Romans 12. The second thing is, is he calls us to keep our passion. So do things with our whole energy for the right reasons, right? So verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Now zeal, um, as you guys, a, f- a few of you guys that have been around the Bible block for a while, there was actually a zealot uh, in the disciples, Simon. Um, and quite often... Uh, zeal's talked about negatively, but zeal's not actually negative. It's basically the way where you point your zeal is important. All right, so zeal is great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. So having zeal in the wrong thing is destructive. Okay, and we hear stories all around the world of people who have zeal in the wrong thing, and it causes destruction, it causes heartache, it causes hurt. It looks a lot like an anger issue. It looks a lot like winning a debate when no one's arguing. It looks a lot like being triggered for no particular reason. But see, the thing is, is having zeal in the right thing, having passion in the right thing will change the world. At the very least, it will change your world. In Romans 12, um, our zeal actually has a direction and it's serving the Lord. So... What happens if we lose our passion then? What happens if we don't have passion for serving anymore? There's actually a, um, there's actually a danger in serving after you lose your passion. So if we lose our passion but force ourselves to keep serving, we're in trouble. That leads to resentment. If we've lost our passion, the best place for us to be is actually in the Word. To be um, worshipping, to be praying, to actually be in that process of transforming and renewing our mind again. And I think quite often um, we don't always serve out of passion, we serve out of obligation. So find your passion and then find your passion. So transform, renew, then pour out. So how do you keep your passion there? And there's actually a recipe that's spelt out. It says, be joyful in hope. See, as Christians... We need to be the hope givers. We need to throw that stuff around like confetti. Okay? We are the hope bringers in our generation. 
We are the hope. We bring joy and hope to those around us. Now, what does that mean for us then? Well, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So if you don't have any hope, again, it's time to be transformed. It's time to be renewed. It's time to go back to that place where you last had hope and pick up that mantle again. See, hope deferred, when, you, when a situation feels hopeless, it means that you've put your faith in the wrong thing. It means that you're not actually, um, it means that you're not actually going after everything that God has for you. Um, it says, Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope is important. Hope is crucial. Hope is vital. You need to have enough hope, not just for yourself, but to transform the world around you as well. You need hope for other people as well. Second thing, in order to keep your passion. See, the thing is, is if you're, you're trans, your transaction is to have hope and try and give hope to other people, man, that'll, that'll look like passion every single time. It'll look like encouragement every single time. If I want to give Joseph hope, I can't go, yeah, Joseph, that's a pretty stink situation. That's, that's compassion. Yeah, man, I'm really glad I'm not in that situation. That really sucks, bro. <laughs> if I wanted to give Joseph hope in a flick, when he's going through a tough time, I, I just got to encourage you. Joe, you're an incredible young man. Yeah, you're, you're a great young man of God. There's something that you carry when you're behind that guitar. There's something that you carry when you sing. See, that's giving him hope. That's giving him something else to look towards. It's giving him, speaking not just to what is right now. I see you singing in front of hundreds of young people. I see you singing in front of hundreds of young people. I see young people with their hands raised high. I see young people crying and with their singing at the top of their lungs. I see young people losing their voice all because you were willing to strap on that guitar and play on these tinky wee strings and be a, a, a plucker for Jesus. Did I get the words right? Yes. Not really. I got the one word that had to be right, right. But actually that gives hope. That gives encouragement. Second thing, be patient in affliction. So when we go through stuff, it's, it's, it's one way that we can leak passion. It's one way where it becomes tough for us to continue on. See, our response to affliction shows where we store our faith. Our response to when we're going through hard times shows what's in us. Under pressure, what's in us comes out of us. So John 16, 33. I've told you these things so that, you may, uh, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, the thing is, is when it comes to your current situation, if you're going through hell at the moment, there's so many people that go through hell and camp there. Mm, If you're going through hell at the moment, I don't know if you've read right the way through the Bible, but that's not the end. If you're in hell at the moment, it's not the end of your story. If you're in hell at the moment, that's not what God wants for you. If you're in hell at the moment, see... When I understand who Jesus is, the story of Jesus can be summed up in 10 seconds by, I got caught in my stuff, Jesus pulled me out. Thank Jesus. That's my testimony. I got caught in my own stuff, couldn't do it myself, and Jesus pulled me out of my own stuff. As stuff is different, but we all got stuck at one stage and we needed help. Yeah, that's, right. that's our testimony. Take heart, take courage, for Jesus has overcome the world. So be patient in affliction. See, 
Call call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. What that means is, is if you're in a dire situation right now, see, you know the God of breakthrough. You know the one that can take you out of any situation. You know the name above all names and you just need to be able to call upon that. So be patient in affliction. Thirdly, be faithful in prayer. The third thing that I got out of, um, out of this, these um, couple of verses was actually honour others over yourself. See, if we, if we stop trying to look after ourselves, controlling our own wee kingdom and start loving on other people, our world gets bigger. Yeah, that's right. our, our circle of impact gets bigger. And if we're in a community of believers that prefer others over themselves, then our own needs will be met far greater than what we could possibly do ourselves. So Romans 12, 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. The Lord's people, see, in that passage, it'd be really easy for us to go, well, well, the Lord's people, so that's just the Christians, that's just the church. But my real question would be then, well, who, who are the Lord's people? Who are the people that Jesus hung out with? Who are the people that Jesus poured into? Who are the people that Jesus helped pull out of situations? We've got to be really careful how we define who the Lord's people are. Who did Jesus hang out with? Who did he contend for? See, on the list of people that Jesus hung out with, criminals, prostitutes, um, tax evaders, tax fraudulators, the only people that he wasn't always real comfortable hanging out with were the people that thought that they had it all together themselves. No, Jesus, we're good. We've already got the answer. We don't actually really need you. The guys that would argue about the law. So if that's, case, if that's the case, you need to ask yourself, who is worthwhile in your life? Who is worthwhile? Now, if you don't like the question, it's probably because you don't like your answer to the question. So if you don't like the question, who do you think is worthwhile? You probably don't like the answer to the question that. Yeah. So James 3.23 says, oh, sorry, it's in James got the wrong thing here. Verse 1, somewhere in James. I think it's James 2. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favour some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewellery. Okay, they must have gone to a different meeting. Um, (laughs) comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewellery and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? So doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? See, if we're going to love and we're going to love authentically, we need to be able to love without discriminating. Like love everyone. Love everyone. Love everyone. We need to be able to love without discriminating. That means looking at a person and going, no, that that person doesn't need love, doesn't want love, doesn't desire love. Is it worthwhile of love? It's important for us to love 
without agenda. So on Friday night, we um, uh, a few of us in the room spent quite a bit of time um, hanging out with 13, 14, 15-year-olds drinking for the first time. A lot of them were drinking for the we first time. For the... We weren't drinking for the first time. Did I say we were drinking? Just, just wanted to very different, just very different Friday night. No, just to clarify, we were the ones looking after the people who were drinking for the first time. All right? And I think the thing that I loved was that I saw um, a whole range of people just loving on people where they're at, um, using the gifts that God's given them, um, just loving on them without agenda, without wanting anything in return. And see, the thing is, is that the world expects us to love with agenda. The world expects us to love, um, it's like, I, I think Christians sometimes are seen on the same level as the people trying to sell timeshares. Do you know what I mean? Hey, hang out with me, but I need you to do this, I need you to do this, I need you to do this, I need you to do this. Hey, here's some tickets to Dreamworld, but you need to do a four-hour presentation about timeshares on the Gold Coast, like it's the same thing. We need to be willing to be able to love people over a long period of time for no particular reason at all, apart from the fact that they are lovable. Everyone is worthy of love. That's right. And see, the thing is, is that authentic love, what, that, what, that, what happens there is that love is our motivation, love is our action, love is the thing that we do. <laughs> and the transaction takes place as we walk with people, not because love is on one side, it's not dependent on us loving a person whether or not they're Christian or not. Because we love people, we invade their worlds. Because we love people, they'll want to know what's different about us. See, it'll come out of relationship rather than out of transaction. I'll hang out with you as long as you come to church. I'll hang out with you as long as you come to youth group. It's not what we're after. I'll hang out with you because I want to hang out with you. I'll hang out with you because I want to know you better. So knowing all this stuff, how should we act? Micah 6.8 tells me, He has shown you, O mortal, if you're going to die one day, that, that means you. Okay, O mortal. What is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Um, the message puts it this way, which I really love. But he has already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbour. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. So love authentically. Love practically. Practice hospitality. Do what you can, when you can, where you can, and refuse to be passive. See, I'm believing that God's people are on the move. They're active. So my question for you, just as we finish up, is who can you love today? Who can you reach out to today? Who can you hang out with today? Um, If you're wanting to find your passion, what is that thing that compels you to act? Who is that group of people that compels you to act? What is that mission or that cause that you can have zeal for that compels you to act? If you're here today and you're not Christian and you're feeling um, far away from God, I just want to tell you we love you. Um, You're always welcome to come. We want you to belong before you believe. We want you to um, seek after God yourself. 
Um, but we're here to talk with. We're here to have a yarn with, but we'll love you guys regardless. So welcome. Um, anyway, I'm going to pray for you guys, but um, there's two groups of people I want to I want to um, pray for today. Uh, the first group of people. Um, you're believing something that's not quite true or, or, or inaccurate, and I'll tell you in a minute what it is. But um, you think you're unworthy of love. You think you're not worthwhile. You think you're not valued. I've come here today to tell you that you are worthwhile. You are loved. You are valued. That there's a um, <laughs> that there's a savior in heaven. That that, that Jesus loved you so much that He died for you and that actually He loves you regardless of what you think or what you feel or how you think about that whole deal. Not only did He die for you, He actually wants to walk with you every single day. He actually wants you to, um, He actually wants to be a part of your life. He actually wants to um, walk with you through the good times and through the bad. every head bowed every eye closed man if that's you today you you feel like you're unlovable you feel like no one loves you we just want to pray a a, a prayer with you I'm just going to count to three and you shoot your hand up just not for any reason I'm not going to embarrass you in any way I just want to. I just want to pray a prayer so that we can change that. Um, change. It's like change the track on the CD or what the MP3, the Spotify playlist. I don't know. I don't know how to be relevant anymore. So three, two, one. So hand up if that's you. Awesome, no worries. Lord, I thank you for this great, great bunch of people. Lord, I thank you so much that you call us and you compel us to act. I thank you so much that our Christian walk is not passive, it's active. Lord, I thank you so much that um, because we have compassion, um, you compel us to to reach out to to a world in need. Lord, I just pray that over this week, that you would be with us, that you would show us those opportunities where we could step out for you. You'd show us those opportunities where we could speak life and love and encouragement into people's situations, people's circumstances and and people's lives. Lord, that we would be able to see those ones that are unlovable and that we would be able to love them on your behalf. Lord, we've been without passion. God, I just pray that you'd reveal to us that your Holy Spirit would invade our lives. Uh, That there would be a a reignition of of dreams that have been um, laid down. Uh, That where the heart's grown cold, Lord, that you would uh, warm those embers again. And God, I pray that we would be a church on the move. We would be ones that would walk towards the messes and situations and circumstances in our world. 
that, that we would be ones that would draw a greater circle around our community, our region and our nation, Lord. Lord, I thank you so much that it's your desire to have relationship with us. So in the same way, help us to love each other and love the world authentically and well. In your mighty name. Amen.